0: Welcome to episode 29 of Pirate Radio After Dark. I'm Josh, the Radio Pirate. This is the podcast version of the show. So, very excited to go into the vaults today and bring you my favorite session of all time, the biggest honor I ever had of being on the radio, to be very honest with you. Uh, Mr. David Bazan of Pedro the Lion, Headphones, Overseas, Low Tom, and his solo career, was kind enough on September 18th, 2011, to come stop at our studio when I was on WXLV at the time and perform for us one Sunday morning. Um, it was unreal. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. And I cannot get over the fact that he was willing to actually come on our little show and not just do an interview, but perform two songs off at that time, his brand new record, Strange Negotiations. So I'm going to bring you that podcast uh, archived pirate session. This is pirate session number four. And, um, uh, it's just really good and exciting um we got a new bedroom invaders track that i'm going to premiere as well um in honor of pretty much the halfway point to halloween we're around and uh yeah we have a new record coming out it's called the parlor tricks of ghost hunting It is not up yet or anything so you're hearing this track exclusively first here but if you want to check out our other records for download or purchasing physical copies we can be found at thebedroominvaders.bandcamp.com. Don't forget the podcast. It's also on social media. It's uh, fi- facebook.com slash pirate radio after dark. And then uh, the Instagram is at pirate radio after dark. And uh, our band's Instagram is at the bedroom invaders as well. So, really fun uh, going into the archives and bringing these out for you guys. Um, so, here's a little trip back in time to my favorite pirate session, pirate session number four. September 18th, 2011, this is Mr. David Bazan on Pirate Radio After Dark. Enjoy. This is the Radio Pirate here for 90.3 WXLV. I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. David Bazan today. He stopped in to uh, um, do an interview and play a couple of tracks. He's in the middle of a tour right now. and um, Yeah, welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming up. Um, So right off the bat, do you want to fill the listeners in on the current living room tour you're doing? Um, Yeah,
1: we figured out a way to book uh, a living room show, you know, a reasonable drive away from each one every night. And so I'm just going around playing living rooms and, um, you know, 35 to 60, 70 people, depending on the size of the room. And then... uh, I just show up and play my acoustic guitar and sing for 80 minutes or whatever.
0: And that's for the whole month of September. Yes, sir. Great. Um, so is this your second or third living official living room tour? Um, well,
1: you know, I do sometimes I do a handful in a row, and then sometimes I do 40 in a row, and um, I think that this is probably. I'm nearing 250 individual living room shows since 2009. So if you want to break that up into 30,
0: then that's uh, maybe eight or something. I don't know. <laughs> so so what keeps you coming back to revisiting this? And will there, I assume, be more in the future? There will be more living room tours. Um, there's a, there's
1: a couple of reasons. One, I, I really, really enjoy it. And if I'm going to be playing solo uh, without the band, um, I would prefer to be in people's living rooms doing it rather than playing solo in rock clubs. Um, with the band, I love playing in rock clubs. It's great fun. But um, there's just no point um, when I'm playing solo. And also, the band tours, the expenses are so much higher to get that thing up and running and out the door that I don't really make much of a living off of that, in fact, very little. So I then have to come out and do these uh, house show tours to make ends
0: meet. Great. Um, so you've been driving around all of September. You had to have seen some interesting sites. Anything, people, places, things that you've come across that really you're going to take home with you? Um, yeah, you know, oddly enough,
1: yeah. I mean, I've... I've This will be the first... Uh, well, what, I guess this will be the the fourth fourth of five times around the country this year, and I've been doing it like that every year since 1998, so not much is new, um, but driving by Lake Erie on I-90 East was just really incredible this time. It looked like a, a mountain of water, kind of suspended, and like it was just gonna, you know, rush into the... To, Pennsylvania or whatever. It was really crazy. It was cool.
0: Um, You have a wife and one daughter, am I correct?
1: Uh, I have one daughter and we have one son, too. Okay.
0: Um, How do you personally deal with touring and being away from the family for long periods of time like this?
1: Well, we just stay in, you know, in touch every day and... Um, you know now there's with cell phones it's a lot easier i I did a couple of tours pre cell phone and that was and whenever I would turn tour in Europe too um and so it's much easier with cell phones and then we have video chats and um and I actually read chapters of books um one chapter at a time and record myself reading them and then send them home in, as m p three so that my daughter and now my son. Um, can listen to them before bed and things like that, and it just helps them know that even though I'm out here, that I'm thinking about them and I'm involved and invested. It's
0: a wonderful idea. It's worked out well. Um, so before this tour, you did a tour with S. Carey, and I mm-hmm. was lucky enough to see you in Philadelphia at Johnny Brenda's. We actually met there. Um, it was probably my personal highlight of the summer. Oh, right with on. You, Just. I love that venue. I I loved the performance. Everything about that night was just great. Um, You play Philly pretty often. Um, Do you have any special memories about Philly? Do you like any specific venues or something about the city? Um, I do like Philadelphia. Um, I
1: have some friends there. um, uh, A friend, Dennis and Whitmer, and then some friends in the band, Me Without You, that make it nice to visit. Um, And then there's a there's a... A sandwich restaurant called Paisano's on Girard, um, not far from Johnny Brenda's actually. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, I mean, they do the you know the Philly cheesesteak style thing like occasionally as a special, but it's really beyond the gimmick of that. It's just fantastic food.
0: I remember yeah. you mentioning that at the show.
1: <sighs> it's insane. Yeah, it's really good. Thinking about maybe swinging by there today, out of my way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so you had a full band obviously on that tour and yep. now you're doing the solo acoustic stuff. Um, what do you prefer? I'm sure there's benefits for both, but what do you lean towards if you had to only pick one? Well, thankfully
1: I don't, um, because it would be a tough call. Um you know, with the guys there, I'm I feel supported by them in such a way that I'm comfortable. Having them take a break and playing some solo shows, so at a band show, I could do both things um, if I wanted. Um, so from a performance or just like an experience level, I you know I think I favor the the possibility of having a little bit more accompaniment. But that said, there's something so simple and sustainable about driving around the country this way that um, I uh, I'm glad I don't have to choose.
0: You have quite a talented backing band right now. I don't know were were the guys from the last tour just for that tour. Will they be joining you again? They'll be on the next tour. We're making a record together, and we made strange
1: negotiations together.
0: I have to mention this: Uh, the drummer is just incredible. I mean, they're both talented, but he's so intense. He is just so talented, and he plays very heavy. That surprised me. Yeah, Um, he's a very heavy drummer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so, where did you ever meet him? Um, Well. In uh, 2009, when I was putting
1: together the first incarnation of uh, the Bazan band, um, the drummer that um, played that whole tour couldn't do the first week, because he plays guitar in Sufjan Stevens' band, and um, the tours were overlapping. And so I had Alex, who was the drummer for the opening band, say hi, um, fill in. And uh, he did such a great job that when um, Casey, the the other drummer, um, just became unavailable because Suf was doing a lot more touring and and whatnot. I just uh, asked uh, Alex if he would play another tour, and not really knowing if it was going to turn into anything, and it and it did. His enthusiasm is uh, pretty fantastic. Yeah.
0: You're currently uh, supporting your most recent LP, Strange Negotiations, and I personally. I love the whole record, I truly do, mm-hmm. but I've been drawn to the songs Wolves at the Door, Virginia, Eating Paper, and Won't Let Go. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw you in Philadelphia, you kind of you know, mentioned the story behind Virginia, and I know you're going to play that later for the listeners. Um, mm-hmm. Would you mind telling the story? Do you want to talk about it once you play it? Oh,
1: I'll just say it now, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it really is about um, a friend of mine who died uh, at 27 of, of an aneurysm, and just me kind of been wondering about the nature of um, things. And growing up religious, I find myself wondering about the nature of the invisible, because growing up I spent so much time imagining what that would was and reimagining. And so that a peer of mine had died, I just kind of found myself wondering what they knew um, about the invisible now that they were dead. And uh, so the song kind of sprang from that, and then... Moreover, it kind of toys with um, there's a lot of uh, p- there's a lot of um, people who inspire uh, try to get people to do certain things uh, out of fear of what might happen in some unknown future. And I think that the heaven hell afterlife kind of motivation is that certainly the if you don't go to college. Um, what's going to happen to you when you're a grown up kind of thing is part of that especially out here on the east coast a little bit more than in the west but it's growing, you know it's it's growing everywhere and, and i like that the character which ended up you know was based on my friend but in but it um ended up becoming something else is just sort of immune to that uh, in in both in both instances in the first and second half that kind of motivation and uh think that it's a deeply, it's a part of why conformity is so powerful, fear of what might happen if you don't do what everybody says you're supposed to do.
0: It, it's placed so well on the record, I think. I think that's one of the, the best, just the placement on the record. And, and the whole record, I've got to tell you, it's one of the first records I've heard in a year or two that really just gets me thinking. I've There's been so many nights this summer. It came out in May, correct? Yeah, yeah. There's been so many nights over the summer that I listened to it late at night, you know, midnight or something, with my headphones on on, on the record player, and it just it, it it's a thinking man's record. And it, Thank you very much. It, it's it's I don't know I I, I love it. <laughs> I can't say that enough. Um, so I'm also curious um, about the song "Won't Let Go." Mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, one of your best songs ever, and I'm just kind of curious what inspired you to write that.
1: Um, it's pretty much just a, a straight love song, uh, you know. Kind of, um, well, if, through my filter, um, it's you know morbid and death obsessed, um, and uh, but it's it's just a love song. Um, I was just thinking about the kinds of thoughts and feelings that I have about my wife, and when those things kind of come up, and the kind of um, yeah, and it just it just kind of came out in a tune. So
0: it's a great song. Thank you. Um so uh, JJ, my co-host, um, actually came up with this question. Mm-hmm. Um he's doing some research and in one of a previous interview you did with someone else, uh, you mentioned it's easier to connect with your newer songs. Um why why do you think that is? is that does it more accurately reflect where you're at in life now or something else?
1: Well, it's been yeah, it's been some time since I think I had that thought. Um so it's curious to think about it now. Um I think what I meant and probably why is because they were they're more autobiographical tunes. The tunes on Kershaw branches in particular are more autobiographical and um while I don't prefer that as a theoretical way of doing songwriting um in that that particular batch of tunes I was able to really be connected with them every night and um and in the wake of that record I'm kind of in a conundrum kind of ongoing but it's not that big of a deal just wondering do I am I an autobiographical songwriter now or do I write fiction and so it's ended up being a mix of a, of a lot of things I'm less um reticent to begin from an autobiographical place and then just let it turn into whatever it's going to be so, yeah, that connection, I don't know. Since then, I've just found a way to be more connected to the tunes that I play, especially solo, and I won't play tunes that I don't feel connected to.
0: Right. Um, you've had a couple months to digest and tour on the new record, so where would you rank Strange Negotiations compared to the rest of your catalog for you personally? I
1: think that it's... It's definitely up there. Um, ranking a record or, or thinking about my satisfaction with the record is so multifaceted because the songs themselves, sort of the platonic form of the, of the song, isn't necessarily on the record. And um, even though I might, you know, Achilles' heel, a Pedro the Lion record is a great example. I think that those are some of my favorite songs that I've ever written, but the recording and the energy and the, the way that it came, it went down to disc was kind of half baked in a way that made made me not really enjoy that record. But then I play those songs more than most Pedro songs now. So similarly, the my evaluation of Strange Negotiations is sort of based on, um, you know, with the resources that I had and with all that other stuff. How do I like it? And I I like it. I like it very much. Um, I think I'm always trying to mature as a as a stylist and a songwriter, and I think that that record is some evidence to me of of becoming more mature and and having more ability to express myself uh, directly. Yeah. It's less work, overworked. Than some other records it's, it's a little bit more natural and i i like that
0: i'm a big vinyl collector and uh when we met in philly we kind of talked about the packaging yeah. a little bit. how did i, I just got to ask the photography for it who came up with the concept behind that what can you tell us a little bit about it because it's just really interesting everything about it the gatefold and the, the inside and everything
1: i i think it was just kind of kismet i mean the ice s- you know, way before we were even working on the record or I, I was building up steam with the tunes, um, I saw the cover photo um, that my one of my best friends, my oldest friend in the world is a photographer, and him and his photo partner, um, Cody Cloud and Julia Galdo, um, took this series of photos, and that the cover photo was one of them. And in in the magazine that it originally appeared in, it was um, upside down from the way that it is on the record, which is actually kind of right-side up uh, in the real, according to Gravity or whatever. But, um, and I just flipped it around and thought, man, that would make an incredible record cover. And so I sent it to Bob, my manager, and said, hey, I think this is going to be the cover. I just, would you throw some type on there? It says, you know, Bazan. And then he put new album. And then that was just kind of in the hopper for a while and kind of... It was just somewhere in the email string. Uh, and every now and again, I would revisit it and think, that's dope, like, I really like that. And then as the record started brewing, um, it just fit. And when it came time to fill out the rest of the, uh, the artwork, we just looked through that photo series, and the back cover was pretty... I mean, just one time through, I was like, that's the back cover, and we're gonna crop it there. Um, and then my wife said, "No, you're gonna crop it there, <laughs> because um, where we were originally gonna crop it, it included um, the uh, visible nipple uh, of the girl." And uh, she was correct that that we should have cropped it where we did. And um, and then the the gatefold, there was two that we were choosing from, and that the gate, the, the the Ouija board photo was just so provocative that. We decided to put that in there just for that but that, that alone you know
0: it's very unexpected when you open it the first time yeah it's pretty weird I like I said before when we talked about it in Philly um did you have any idea how well it would turn out when when because when we looked at it together it was kind of like wow this this is a really great packaging
1: I didn't know I mean I I didn't know that I was gonna like it as much as I do. I, kn- I knew that we were making good choices about stuff, but it just came out so, so well, and weirdly fits with the record thematically. And um, I don't know, it just makes a, a creates a, a larger context to experience the, the record in, which I think is, is something I, I like to try to do, but how you can't. I, I have said over and over again, and I, and I really believe that if you just kind of go with your gut about certain things, even though there aren't great reasons, uh, that your subconscious is sort of keeping track of all these details that if you tried to keep track of in your conscious mind, would uh, you just wouldn't be able to do it. I think there's an elegance to the way that your subconscious orders things and let, puts things in, in place that... Um, you just couldn't deliberately do, or at least that's how it works for me.
0: So I got a very good Christmas present this year. Um, made me one of your executive producers. Oh, that, um, so that was a—that's that awesome. A, a, you can't forget that. That's just great. But um, for the listeners who don't know how the record kind of came to be, can you just fill them in on the executive producer? Uh,
1: yeah, story. Um, well, we were—you know—we we had gotten some money to record from Barsuk uh, Records, my recording my record label that I'm on, and um, but it became clear that we needed to make the record in December of, of last year, of 2010, and um, there was no way financially to make that work because um, we, were, we had slated for me to be doing house shows so that I could make a living. So we needed a way for me to make a living while staying home and making the record and paying for some of the costs of the recording. And so we just went to the fans and said, hey, you know, do you want to buy this? It's basically, it was basically a glorified pre-order. We're going to record this record. If you want to participate, you pay 35 or 40 bucks or whatever it was for a t-shirt, a copy of the record when it comes out, and it's like a coupon or something, and then your name in the liner notes. Uh, and we didn't necessarily say how it was going to be, but I came up with the idea of Making it an executive producer credit, which I thought that was, was nice. pretty funny, um, and it worked out great. Um, we were able to to make the record, and some people were concerned, like, "Oh, he's probably just using that money; he's down at the bar, you know, getting drunk or whatever." And just, we turned it around and made, I think, a great record in, um, I think, less time than people were maybe expecting.
0: Yeah. Um as you kind of mentioned earlier, but many listeners may also know you as the guy behind Pedro the Lion. Mm -hmm. Um, The first record I heard was probably back in 2003. I heard Winners Never Quit, and uh, I still love that record to this day. Uh, It's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, What inspired you, because it's it's a concept record, there's there's a story behind it. What inspired you to make that story, I guess? Was there something in the media or just... Yeah, I mean, I, it
1: was just whatever was kind of in the air growing up Christian. Um, I was really irritated, deep, deeply irritated with um, this... Um, the way that the people and the culture around me and the way in evangelical Christianity and sort of right-wing political circles, that kind of wealth and material success and um, the kind of protocol it's a morality of sorts but it's not it's not deeply ethical it has more to do with networking and social interaction and um, you know appearing good um, that, that that those were the real values of sort of the quote unquote Christian world that I was a part of. Um, or, or was extricating myself from slowly. And uh, I just wanted to write a record that basically flipped the bird to that way of thinking and also suggested that it was deeply unchristian um, to, to conduct oneself in that way. And, to, and it was a real distortion of, of, of any kind of value system that was based on Jesus' teaching or something like this. So that was what I was attempting to do. Just um, poke fun at, mock, ridicule, um, sort of straight, uh, square, Republican, Christian culture.
0: So, will we ever hear another headphones record, or is that done?
1: There won't be a a a record that's branded uh, as headphones. Um, No one really bought that record or came out to any of those shows. And um, so I can't justify (laughs) spending, you know, a year of my life and time and resources uh, working on a thing that won't put food on the table for my family. Um, So, yeah, it's funny because there's been a lot of interest in it recently, and um, it's just about six years too late. Um, and I don't, the way that things go, I don't really believe that that the support will be there if we were to do it also. Um, you know, records sell less and less. People um, acquire records for free more and more. And um, so we just have to, uh, we just have to, be realistic about about certain things. There will be a record I'm sure that comes along that sounds like headphones to people that liked that record, but um, but yeah, nothing under that brand name.
0: Because I I remember I mean I was much younger when that came out, and I was such a big fan of Page of the Lion, mm-hmm. and I heard that, and I I really didn't like it at first. Yeah, it's a weird. And I I recently got it on vinyl because that's still in print, and I re-listened to it a couple months ago, and I was like, this is this is much better than I remember. It's yeah, it's I think it was ahead of its time. I, I don't think back then, as a Page of the Line fan expecting you to do another Page of the Line record, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Set, it threw you for a loop. And being removed from it now, years yeah. later, now I can listen to it with an open mind and some of your, your better material is on that record.
1: Well, thank you. It, it It is a weird record. I mean, it's quite standoffish. And I, don't, I didn't mean for it to be that way. It just has this air to it that is... Um, it's not. It's not inviting. It's kind of. Yeah, it's like a thousand-yard stare of a of a record. You know, it's strange.
0: Um. Did you hand select Ask Harry for your last tour? Or?
1: Yeah, we asked them to to tour. Um, and they're great. They're so so great. Yeah, and it it it's really funny because Sean. Um, we kind of realized by the end it was like a genuinely. Uh, big Pedro the Lion fan, and so that that ended up being a pretty warm kind of aspect of the thing, but beyond that, I mean he could have hated my guts, and it would have been great because they're just so amazing.
0: they were so. fantastic um i I still can't get over how good they are one of the better opening acts I've seen in a long time
1: yeah, they're incredible
0: um so other than listening to s Carry, is there anything else you've been listening to a lot in the van right now, or you'd recommend to listeners? Um, yeah, you know it isn't music though it's um I've become obsessed with
1: this podcast called w t f with Mark Maron, and um he just interviews comics mostly and uh there's a couple of hundred episodes already, and it's just fantastic uh radio and I listen to this American life and fresh air and radio lab and um on the media and um other things. I, I, I've i listened musically, I guess. Um, I listened to O Inverted World yesterday by The Shins, um, the Fugazi record, The Argument, uh, The Queen Is Dead, by The Smiths, um, the new Centromatic record, Candidate Waltz, I listened to. Um, yeah, I'm not a big um, it takes me a long time to know if I like something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm never on the cutting edge of anything when it comes to listening. Um, because if I've, if there's a big party surrounding uh, something, and Mark Maron said something kind of like this, but I have to get alone and away from the party before I know if it's my own emotional connection or I'm just sort of co-opting other people's. Um, so, you know, now I'm really into the Dirty Projectors or whatever two years later.
0: <laughs> so um, I have a question actually from someone in the room here, Will, who's standing up over there. Mm-hmm. Um, well. We have a record club where actually, I gotta mention this, everyone's gonna laugh. I, Me and a, a couple other guys get together every other week, drink some beer, listen mm-hmm. to vinyl and talk about it and, and like actually discuss it in like a book club. Yeah. And, um, there seems to be reoccurring themes with the stuff we listen to and we all have much very diverse tastes in music. Um, but we, we keep coming back to a lot of records produced by Phil Eck. Mm-hmm. Is there any producers you are looking to work with one day, or would you ever work with him? Because he seems to cover a lot of people from your region. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I don't think I would work with Phil. Um, I do like some of the work that he does, though, but it's a style of production that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense with the way that, that I work, Um it's um you know there it my brain doesn't really even work that way where i w- i want to work with certain people um he uh one exception would be if if i could um work with daniel Lenoir, um i would probably give up a toe or or two um to to make that happen um even if it weren't to come out or be anything just to just to be around him and maybe even just kind of be a fly on the wall or, like, an assistant engineer or, like, a gopher in his studio uh, for a minute. But with, like, most dreams like that, um, it's impractical because I have this other job that I'm doing (laughs) that I can't really take time off of to to monkey around. Um, Also, Richard Swift, um, who's a friend of mine, and I do theoretically have the opportunity to work with him... um, he, he's great and uh, he does great production work as well as his own solo records are fantastic.
0: So my last question for you, this is one I've been wanting to ask ever since I saw the DVD alone at the microphone. Mm-hmm. All the performances are um, in the studio except Slow and Steady wins the race. It's uh-huh. in your truck. Uh-huh. How did that come about? Is there a story behind it? Was it planned? Sort of.
1: Um... You know, the process of writing cursor Branches" was very tedious and very difficult for whatever reason. And so, while I was, you know, part of it is while I was writing it, I was touring constantly, and um, and I didn't wasn't ever able to really get into like a flow. And there was days where I would have all these errands to run for the family or for the studio or whatever, and um, I would feel guilty because I was supposed to be writing those days too, and I. Th- one time, well, I'll just bring my little guitar out with me in the truck, and um, I'll, um, you know, pull over when I get inspired and record little bits and pieces, and, and I it was pulled over, and Bob called, my manager called, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just sitting in my truck playing guitar, and he says, what? And I explained to him the situation, and he's like, oh yeah, when we make that DVD, we gotta get that on there, because that's too funny. So... That was basically what it was. I'd just kind of be driving around, you know, barely thinking about driving. Mostly just trying to like write tunes, and then at stoplights and whatever, I'd pick up the guitar and work out an idea or or whatever. And def- definitely made a couple of big breakthroughs doing doing it like that. And so. Bob wanted to capture that on the DVD.
0: I'm glad it's in there. It's uh, it's really interesting. I even like the one point where you're stopped in traffic and like the people next to you don't notice what you're doing for yeah. quite, a, quite a while.
1: And then they look over, and yeah. it's funny. Yeah. And my my daughter's in that, too, and that, yeah. I like that part. She's a cute kid.
0: So you brought your guitar up here. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little sample of the living room tour so yeah. you've got some uh, fans up here?
1: Yeah, I'll play... Uh, it, both these tunes will be kind of mellow. Not all the living room tour shows are are mellow, but here's a couple of tunes from Strange Negotiations.
2: upon all oh, the place
1: About in the interview, I won't
2: let go. When you get this message, I'll be high above the earth. Thinking about the promises that I keep When I touch down in Texas Land in Dallas for work I will call you up And wake you from your sleep I will not let go, I will not let go, I will not let go of you, I will not let of men I cannot say but I keep arriving safely home to you I humbly acknowledge that I won't always get my way but darling death will have to pry my fingers loose I will not let go I will not let go I will not let go of you I will and uh, let
0: So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our uh, dig into the archives for our pirate session with David Bazan. I just want to thank him and Bob, his manager, again, for making that happen. Truly the greatest thing I ever got to do in this radio show, and I've done a lot of really cool stuff over the last 18 years with the show. Um, So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that, and uh, what an honor. That's all I can say. Up next, we got an exclusive track from our new record, from our band, The Bedroom Invaders. The new record's called The Parlor Tricks of Ghost Hunting. It will be out at some point. We don't have all the details yet. The record is done, though. Um, so this is just an exclusive premiere of our new track, The Demonologist. Very big fan of this track. I'm very proud of it. It's our second track on the record. So check us out by going to the invaders.bandcamp.com or adding us on Instagram at Invaders. So that's what I got for you. Thank you for tuning in. Shrine, we
2: brought back to you a priest an exorcist to said masses in the house. Why? If this is a house created by the left family, why six months before this man was murdered in his family was an exorcist in that house? Why the priests performing the mass and performing the exorcist in rituals? Whoever so, was the brain that gave the ancient the, priest, the, priest, the, priest, the the house is built. The place is built in the middle the house. It's built up like a house.
0: It's not locked into a house. It's built up too big. It's built up too big. I the railroad the They're to the cafeteria because And have heard people at I to i I they We have the only